Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, bisexuality has often been lumped in with homosexuality, but my guest today has delved deep into this world and uncovered many surprising truths, such as the fact that bisexual behaviour in animals exists as the norm rather than heterosexual behaviour. Dr. Julius Shaw is a psychological scientist at University College London and the author of Bi, The Hidden Culture, History and Science of Bisexuality. Uh, Julia, welcome to the programme. Usually, I, I, even though it seems very obvious, I ask people to define bisexuality um, or, or whatever it is they're, they're writing, written the book about. I, I presume it's fairly straightforward, a definition of bisexuality. <laughs> it's actually less straightforward than you'd think oh. in that different researchers have used different definitions for it. Because you can kind of break it down to three things. You can break it down into a behavior. So whom are people having sex with is one way you can look at bisexuality, where it doesn't really matter how people label themselves. What matters is how they're behaving. Then mm-hmm. you could do it based on identity labels. So just based on how people identify themselves, or you can do it on a scale, which is sort of an in-between thing where you're asking people a bunch of questions and then you as the researcher categorize them as somewhere on a scale of sexual activity and did, the middle of Kinsey, the scale. Yeah, like Kinsey, did, exactly. So Kinsey was this um, researcher fascinated by sexuality, right? And he, um, I don't say he wrote the book on sexuality, that sounds weird, but he, he, he did a lot of research into sexuality. Was it in the 60s or... Earlier, in the 1930s already. 30s. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. No, no, actually, you you go on because you're the expert. (laughs) Tell me about Kinsey. So Kinsey has a curious background. So his name is Alfred Kinsey, and he was a researcher who initially actually did research on gall wasps. (laughs) This I didn't know. Yeah. And he considers his move into sexual behavior in humans serendipitous. So gall wasps are an insect that don't actually have any sex at all. And he moved into or fell into research on human sexuality because there was funding for it. And and post-World War II, there was this move to do more research on how people were behaving in the bedroom as, as part of the sort of rebuilding, reconstruction of the country effort. And Kinsey was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do your research. But as a biologist, he just wanted to categorize human sexuality and human sexual behavior. And so he realized that the classic heterosexual homosexual binary wasn't capturing what he called the endless intergradations of human sexuality and he he like made endless fun of other researchers who kept trying to force the world into straight and gay and he there's so many great quotes from him from that time like <laughs> laying it on he's like that's not what is actually happening you're just letting your own biases from the human world interfere with your science and he, um, like, his findings were quite controversial at the time because they held a mirror up, particularly to America, and and people from, uh, I suppose, a, a more simple, at least externally, um, a simple time, uh, didn't like what this mirror showed. Well, it was more that it... It was complicated because it showed that lots of people have homosexual attractions and have engaged in homosexual behaviors. And in particular, at this point, so in the 1930s and 1940s and into the 1950s, where he was still publishing, he was basically also finding that, for example, men who went off to war 
and we're in what we now call homosocial environments. So when there's only one type of one gender around, um, that they had come back and had quite a lot of sexual experiences with other men. It's also known as the prison effect, which is the sort of idea that you might be gay for the stay, which is also researched amongst women and men. And so he is was that, Is that a real this. thing? Yeah, it is a real thing. It's actually oh, okay. observed in all animal populations that if the gender balance uh, becomes unequal, that m- there's more homosexual homosexual behavior for the the sex that is more abundant. And so Kinsey was, uh, was he the first to create a scale of bisexual from zero to six, where zero is totally straight and six is totally gay? <laughs> and then somewhere in the middle, everybody lands. Was he the first person to do that? As far as I know, he was the first person to do that, but he wasn't the first person to research bisexuality. So one of the first people to ever write about bisexuality in a research context was Havelock Ellis, who was an English researcher. And he was already publishing on sexuality in a non-moralizing way. In other words, he didn't judge people for their sexual behavior like everyone else was doing at the time in the late 1800s. And so he was way ahead of his time and his book, sexual inversion was actually ruled to be obscene, not because of the sexual content, but because he didn't say that things like bisexuality and homosexual behavior were bad. And so that was a setback for research, but not for very long. So he just kept pursuing the publication and ended up publishing his book in, in the States instead. So, um, this scale of zero to six, does it work now as an idea? Um, or how do we how, how do we categorize as you as you describe how do we categorize sexuality across that spectrum? So the Kinsey scale is still the most popular way to measure sexual behavior in human beings, and it allows you to, as you say, go from zero exclusively heterosexual to six exclusively homosexual. And if you ask people to put themselves on that spectrum, about a third of people between the ages of 18 and 24 identify as somewhere in between. So as not When was that data from? That's from 2019. So the most recent data that I could find, um, which is in the last couple of years, there's a bunch of studies and they all kind of find the same thing, which is that about a third of people in that age range identify as neither exclusively homosexual nor exclusively heterosexual. Has that changed um, over the last, so like 50 years ago, would, would a third of people have responded anonymously that they were somewhere that wasn't six or zero? Ish. So in recent history, it's gone up. So if you look at these studies over the last 15 years, more young people are identifying as bisexual as the label bisexual, and more young people are saying that they're somewhere in that middle range of the scale. But Kinsey in the 1940s already found, or he kept saying that about half of men and about a quarter of women had homosexual desires. And so was also placing a huge amount of people on the bisexual spectrum. So it it kind of has and hasn't changed. But I think the biggest thing that's changed is that more and more people are saying that they are bisexual as an identity label. And that's relatively new. In terms of this zero to six scale, how do you, is there guidance given? I don't know why I'm so fascinated by this, but it's just a, it's a very simple metric on something that is something interesting and complicated. Do, do you ask people questions to help them or do they just is it just where do you think you are? Like, do you say, would you kiss a man or would you hold hands with a with a woman? Like what, what sort of questions 
put you on this uh, on one end or the other end of the scale. <laughs> so Kinsey had extensive interviews that he would conduct with his participants, and he had a huge amount of participants, and he conducted these like hour-long interviews. Most of them he conducted himself, which is also wild in terms of the time investment. And he would ask lots and lots of questions, like you said, like, have you ever thought about kissing someone of the same sex or someone of a different sex? Have you considered being in a relationship with someone of, of various sexes? Um, there was also asexual, so you could also go X as in no sexual attractions. So there, Kinsey also accepted that there are some people who have no sexual desires. And um, But yeah, overall, he would go through all these questions and then he'd say, I place you as a four or a 4.75. So he did decimals as well. And <laughs> then he'd ask, what do you think? Which I think is really interesting to sort of ask the participants themselves if they agree. And then they were able to have their input on it, but ultimately he would decide where he thought they fit. Because just like today, if you ask most people how they identify, they say straight or homosexual, so straight or gay. And they, yeah. almost nobody says bi, unless they're in that younger age group. Is the research into how people who are bisexual are perceived by zeros and sixes? <laughs> There's certainly research on what's called double discrimination, which is that bisexual people have... So, so basically, there's quite a few things that are different about being bi than being gay. And so one of the things is that you face discrimination often both from the homosexual and the heterosexual community. So, so does the research hold that up? Because I, I had heard that anecdotally, but I wasn't sure if you know, that, that had actually been seen in science. Yes, there's quite a lot of research on it, actually. Um, so there's research on both the consequences of it, so things like sexual assault. So for heterosexual people, often there's a what's called hypersexualization of bisexual women. And if we look at the consequences of that, we can see that the numbers, the statistics on sexual assault are about twice as high for bisexual women as for lesbian or straight women. And the consequence of that also are that the assumptions that bisexuality is about sex and that it's about sexual promiscuity and that particularly in women it's all about sort of availability for men or maybe it's performative that that then also has implications for therapeutic services afterwards so there's research both on well on all three levels really on the stereotypes that people have about bi people the consequences of that in terms of mental health and the uh, and sexual assault and then also the consequences of that on therapy and aftercare and all of those are lacking in terms of well, by stereotypes and how they affect the world that bisexual people live in. Is there is there value in understanding the biological origin of bisexuality, or is it just the randomness of human diversity? I guess I think there's value. So I have a whole chapter in my book by the hidden culture, history, and science of bisexuality, in which I d tuck in just to the animal kingdom and look for. First, a bi gene, because I was under the impression until I wrote this book that there was a gay gene and that you're born gay. Like I'd even written it into my second book on evil where I was talking about homosexual behavior and how lots of people in the world see people who are queer as evil. And so I was talking about it in a different context. And within that, I sort of said, well, you know, it's all nonsense because, you know, you're born this way. And I even cited some research on twin studies. And I was like, that's that. And when I looked into it, it turns out there is no gay gene. And the gay gene was this idea that in the 19, I think it was the 1990s, there was a study which found that their researchers said they'd found some genetic code that underpinned 
homosexual attraction. And since then, apparently, the researchers of this particular study, the gay gene study, have been trying desperately to get people to reconceptualize it. And they're like, the media blew it out of proportion. (laughs) (laughs) And so I found out through this research that there's no gay gene. And so there's also no bi gene because I also was like, so like, is the bi gene like half a gay gene? You know, what does it mean? (laughs) And so that was... This this makes me think you're not a geneticist. (laughs) I am not a geneticist. Um, But also just the concept of being born this way is oversimplifying, right? It's it's an essentialist argument, which basically means that you're... It's in your DNA versus that it's socialized. But really, like so many other things, it's both. But if if we look at the animal kingdom, there's lots of research on queer animals. And there's been a movement within evolutionary research to and and researchers in biology to turn around the question, which has been asked for decades, which is typically, why does homosexual behavior continue to exist in the animal kingdom? Like, why is there any of it? Because the Darwinian paradox suggests that there shouldn't be because it doesn't lead to offspring. But researchers now have been like, that's nonsense. Like, as long as there's any sexual behavior that results in offspring, that should be enough. And so they've actually asked, like, why is there heterosexual behavior in the animal kingdom? Or why is there any monosexuality? And so it seems that bisexuality is actually the norm and has has been seen in every single mammal in the animal kingdom, as far as I know. When you look at the biology of someone who is heterosexual versus homosexual versus bisexual, is there any differences um, uh, physically? I think the premise is wrong behind that question. Okay. And actually, Kinsey Kinsey already criticized this premise. The whole underpinning of that is assuming that there must be some sort of biological difference rather than it being situational and or socialized, right? And so... These gay gene studies and these DNA studies have looked into that quite extensively. In fact, quite a lot of the genetic research on homosexuality has specifically been on one animal, on sheep, because about 10% of sheep are what are called shy breeders. In other words, the male sheep, the rams, don't like to mate at all with the lady sheep, with the ewes. And so what that means is that this this is a huge problem for agriculture because they've got all these sheep that aren't willing to reproduce. And of course, unlike with humans, you can actually go play around with their DNA a bit and you can sort of see what's happening and try to filter things in or out and, well, breed, right? And so they, researchers have looked into these sheep brains and sheep DNA and all this sheep stuff and they just can't find it. <laughs> so if you can't find it there, it probably doesn't exist. And I think that's partly because sexuality is actually much more fluid and situational than we often think. Well, no, absolutely. But um, our sexual behavior is often driven by hormones. And that's more where I was getting at. Are there differences in hormones that we see across the sexual spe- spectrum? Or is there really absolutely nothing that we see in neurology, hormones, or as you mentioned, DNA that would would identify someone as having a... Per- well, actually, when now I say that loud, it's saying, it seems preposterous. But is there anything <laughs> that is there anything that w- would show... Um, differences in sexual preference. Not that um, I came across now. Yeah, and yeah. again, it's already something that Kinsey was critiquing as like a preposterous concept in the 1940s. Mm. Well, look, uh, thanks for, for taking me through that because, you know, it's good to hear the, it's good to hear how to reframe those sort of questions. Um, in terms of the experience of bisexuals in society today, is that something that you looked on in terms of mental health and in terms of their experience of the world? Is it getting better for people who identify as bi? And do people readily choose to identify as bi given 
some of these issues that you talked about? What does it, science say? So science or research just mostly says that there's a massive bisexual closet. So I have a whole chapter on the bisexual con- closet and the psychological consequences of it. So most people who are bi are not out and most people who are bi are not out even to their loved ones. So there we see that about half as many bisexual people are out to friends and family and the sort of closest people in their lives. And also very few compared to, to Compared to homosexual. Sorry, compared to homosexual yeah. people, right. And um, about half as many men who are bi currently are out as bi women. So there's also added barriers at the moment for bi men, which seem to have changed, changed over time. So for a while, there were twice as many by men, it, it, like all the research, like Kinsey, Fritz Klein, who was doing research in the 70s and 80s, they were all like, yeah, obviously there's twice as many by men as by women. And now it's like exactly the opposite. So something changed in there, possibly mm-hmm. more by men identifying as gay. I don't know. But now it's the other way around. And so there are also added barriers to coming out as a by men. And so there's quite a lot of research on why by people feel unable to come out and and how we can make it easier for them to do so because coming out is a massive buffer against lots of the mental health, negative mental health consequences that we see like loneliness and anxiety and depression. And do you then see people choosing different terms to identify as, as a result of that? More vague terms, for example? Sometimes, sometimes people use words like queer. Um, Occasionally people also use pansexual, which is a slightly more niche term, which typically actually, according to research, means exactly the same as bi. So it's the attraction to multiple genders. But some people don't like the word bi because it sounds like it's reinforcing a gender binary, even though it's not. It's bi means heterosexual and homosexual attractions, not men and women. Um, But it's mostly just that people don't identify themselves as attracted to multiple genders and they just stay quiet. And the problems with that are that then if they do fall in love with a different gender than they normally do, that can have a kind of force of coming out or um, they need to hide it. So there's the same consequences mm-hmm. that we see for homosexual people who aren't able to be out, but in a different way for bi people, because right now in places like England, it's often harder to come out as bi than as homosexual, it seems. But we are getting better, right? Um, that's a hard thing to say because the research on bisexuality is so spotty. So there's quite a lot of it, but it's really like there's like a study in this area, a study over here, a study over there. So it's really hard to actually talk about change. But there are more people who identify openly as bisexual now. Um, So we're doing something right. But I think most of that has to do with social media and just seeing other people around us who are openly bisexual and that we know gives people confidence to come out themselves. God, I, 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 someone saying something good about social media in the past 10 years is fantastic to hear. Um, <laughs> fascinating speaking with you, Dr. Julia Shaw from University College London. The book is By the Hidden Culture, History and Science of Bisexuality. Thanks for your time, Julia. Thank you. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.